The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Read the scripture today uh, in English and in Mother Tongue Marathi. So if you're able, please stand up for, with me for the reading of God's word. Today we're reading from Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all, those led by, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Karan jana pavitra atma chalavto ti devachi mule ahet. Puna bhiti na vato manun tumala gulami cha atma melalela nahi. Tar tumala dattak panacha atma melalela ahe. Jacha dware apan abba vapa ashi haak marto. To atma swata aple atmya barobar saksh deto ki. अपन देवाचे मुले आहोत, अपन जर देवाची मुले आहोत, तर वारस ही आहोत, अनि क्रिस्ता बरोबर वारस आहोत। करोखर अपन त्याचा बरोबर दुख भोक्तो यासा ठीकी, त्याचा बरोबर आपल्याला गाऊरवही मिळावा। This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, sir. So, fam, how you guys doing today? Isn't it? Yeah, we should. Woo! All right. I'm, I'm glad you guys are all awake. It is, uh, there's something special about hearing God's word uh, in so many different languages. I love how many different languages there are in this church. I know there's some more of them. A couple of you have not felt brave enough to be up here yet because you guys don't realize this because you see the back of everybody's head. You're way scarier from the front. It's like way more intimidating up here. But thank you for those of you who have volunteered. It's a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to be when we get to hear God's word in the languages that he designed. So welcome. We're so glad. Thanks for doing that this morning. I know it's, I know it's a scary thing to get up here, especially for the first time. Well, again, welcome to uh, Story City Church's Burbank location. My name is Jared. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. And uh, we exist as a church. Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. That key word for us is health well, the key word's Jesus, right? Like that's the, the most important part. But healthy relationship with Jesus and a healthy relationship with people is what we are trying to do here. Now, having a healthy relationship with Jesus and people is a result of walking with Jesus day by day. The reality is, is that we don't tend towards health. We don't tend towards, right? Like not all of us can pass a fast food place. <laughs> We don't tend towards good decisions. We, we tend towards the unhealthy until we get reminded of something, but it takes work to move back towards that, right? We don't tend towards naturally, like, I woke up and I'm at the gym. How did that happen? I have no idea, right? We, we have to work towards those things. In the same way, we have to work towards relationship with Jesus. Now, the good news is that God provides everything we need. God does everything for us. We aren't able to do it on our own, but the Holy Spirit is there with us, and God does each and every day what's necessary to allow us to walk with him so he can do the things in us and through us. We call it apprenticing Jesus. Now, we hope and desire to see, you can come speak with me if you want, Mr. Zeke. You're more than welcome. You sure? 
okay. But next time you get to come up here and preach for me, okay? <laughs> He's like, I don't know about this. Uh, we hope and desire to see every church member engaged in discipleship rhythms, or we could say apprenticeship rhythms, rhythms that help us walk daily with Jesus. And that's an important thing. And so we express it like this. At Story City Church, our apprenticeship rhythms are to worship in services, to live in groups, to learn in studies, and to serve in teams. What do we mean by those things? Well, worship and services come from Hebrews chapter 10, and God is in perfect community with himself, and he calls us to be in community with each other. One of my favorite preachers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, says anyone who thinks he can do the Christian life by himself is declaring he's not a Christian. There's power when God's people gather and celebrate and praise him, encourage and challenge each other in our walk, and learn how to love God and others all more. This happens both in the singing and the sermon portion of our service. Living in groups comes from Acts chapter 2. In addition to meeting corporately, the early church also met in homes. That was very clear. And to borrow a line from Pastor John Mark Comer, our emphasis here is to move the the main emphasis of the services from the stage to the table. What do we mean by that? It means that our primary place of care, discipleship, evangelism, community, and service is actually in groups, not here on Sunday mornings. Now, Sunday mornings are important because corporate worship is important, but they're not the front door of the church. The front door of the church is the relationships we build, the, the, the camaraderie we have, the way we live out our lives in groups uh, throughout the week around dinner tables rather than Sunday services. Learning and studies comes from Matthew chapter 28. Jesus commands us to teach others to follow and obey him, both in the way that we communicate who he is and also modeling who he is. At Story City Church, this happens through relational apprenticeship and focused specific classes to help people apprentice Jesus better. Story City classes may range from things like cooking classes that build camaraderie and cooking skills and community to classes on parenting, biblical exegesis, or uh, like you're going to hear today, how people change. Each class is Christ-centered and designed to help us become healthier apprentices of Jesus. And then serve in teams comes from Matthew 20. It's important to note that we use the word in teams, not on teams. And that's because here we, uh, we are trying to live out what Jesus said to be servant leaders. Servant leaders is a very important part of what we do. We believe that our mission is bigger than ourselves. We believe in lifting up and championing those around us, even if it means they move ahead of us. We want to be inconveniently generous, especially in how we serve others and give of ourselves. That's what God did for us. We want to model who God is, the people around us. You're already involved in worshiping and services because you're here. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Even if you're online, welcome. We're excited that you are a part of this. I want to continue to, uh, to encourage you to connect in the rhythms that you're not engaged in yet because it's a healthy part of learning how to apprentice Jesus. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Again, fill out the, uh, the Connect card, scan the QR code, or email teams at storycitychurch.com, and we'll get you connected. Or again, just find somebody in a pink lanyard. They are all around. All right. Let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. What did you guys have? What is the best way to name a vehicle? Ironically. Ironically. Okay. Give me an example. Okay. All right. I like it. What else? The car will tell you. Yep. Yeah, I believe that. What else? You don't. I reject that answer. Okay. <laughs> what else? By its color? Yeah, uh, my current motorcycle is pearl white, so her name is Mini Pearl. 
Before that, she was gold, so it was Ellie Golding. So I can, I can get behind that one. What else? I also had a truck that was like an old saddle horse. She was just like, I don't know how that thing just kept running. So her name was Betsy because it just seemed like a very old saddle horse type name. Like Betsy. She just chugged along. I don't think she broke 85 ever. <laughs> what else? Oh, letters on the license plate. Yeah. That could be that too. No one else? No. Does anybody not name their vehicles besides Natalie? All y'all. Wow. You all know this is a crime against humanity, right? It's like in the Geneva Convention. You have to name a vehicle. All right. Well, we'll get to that. Because we're like, we don't name cars. What are you talking about? Uh, my daughter and I had a great debate one time. She wanted to name my truck Troy. I was like, listen, when you buy a vehicle, you can name it whatever you want. But you don't get to name my truck for me. This is my truck and it's not Troy. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that peek into your life. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we have been working our way through a series called Maker's Mark, and it's about our identity in Christ. And I thoroughly believe that living in our gospel identities is actually one of the most difficult things, one of the biggest issues or problems we are facing in the church today. By church, I mean Big C Church, not necessarily Story City, though it does include us. I mean, all the local churches, I think the, the idea of what it means to live in our Christian identity is one that we are not fully living out. I don't think we truly understand it, believe it, and live in it the way that God has called us to for those who apprentice him. Today we're going to continue that series and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit's part in our identity. And this brings us to the big idea for the day. So those who are taking notes, this is our big idea for the day. The children of God have the Spirit of God. The children of God have the Spirit of God. We're going to see that the Spirit proves who we are. We're going to see that the Spirit testifies to what God has done and how the Spirit authenticates our faith through suffering. The Spirit proves who we are. The Spirit testifies to what God has done. And the Spirit authenticates our faith through suffering. Let's go back through our scripture for today, and then we'll break it down again. Romans chapter, eight, uh, Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17, it says this. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. I love this section of scripture and as uh, true to Paul, it's always packed full of stuff. Uh, Paul even has a little aside. If you ever uh, like try to read Romans, Paul has a bunch of places he doesn't finish his thought. He has like parenthetical thought where he's like adds another point that he's thinking about and then goes on to something else. That's why it can feel very confusing. And Paul has a little aside in here too. And so we're going to look at this today. We'll break it down and explain it. We're going to kind of group verses 14 and 15 together, 15 and 16 together, and then we'll look at verse 17. Uh, But because we're talking a bit about how the Holy Spirit leads us today, I think it's a good time for an aside of my own. Since Paul did it, I'll do it. Not that I'm comparing myself with Paul. All right, so let's take a quick detour to the Trinity, okay? I think this is something that can become really confusing to us, so let me add to that confusion. It's a, oh gosh, people, this is going to be a long sermon. All right, here we go. 
This is important to understand. Jesus, the Son, and the Spirit, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are not parts of the Trinity. Okay? They're not parts of the Trinity. They cannot be separated from the one stu- substance of their existence. That means he's not one person that simply shows up and manifests himself in three different ways. That's actually a heresy about the Trinity, that there's only one being who shows up as the Son, shows up as the Spirit. That's not correct. He is not a triistic uh, relationship between three separate gods. That's also heresy. That is not what the Trinity is. God is three persons of one essence. One God, three persons. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact imprint, not a copy like we know that it degrades over time. It isn't the same thing. It's the exact to the T imprint of the Father. Light from true light, still perfectly light. The closest I can come to explaining this is uh, perhaps the idea of quantic, uh, quantum physics entanglement. Okay? Uh, entanglement has been described like this, a phenomenon in quantum physics that occurs when two or more particles become interconnected in such a way that the state of one particle instantly influences the state of others regardless of the distance between them. This phenomenon is a fundamental aspect of quantum mechanics and challenges our classic intuition about the nature of physical reality. In other words, this confuses, it's not out of us, we don't know why it works. When objects are in an entangled state, what happens to one instantly affects what happens to the other, no matter the distance. Even if that distance takes more time or is a greater distance than the speed of light, the communication happens at a speed greater than the the speed of light, and somehow they're instantly affected even though they are not together. And so what happens to one exactly happens to the other. They are together and separate at the same time. Now, if your head is starting to hurt, don't worry. I get it. Here's the deal. The Trinity coexists eternally, has never been, and never will be separated from each other. It's why we don't sing songs here like, hey, Holy Spirit, I hope you show up today. Why? Because if Jesus is here, what does that mean? The Holy Spirit's here. Can't have one without the other. Doesn't work that way. So when we say, hey, Holy Spirit, I man, I really hope you show up. We're saying, I don't have Jesus. If Jesus is present in a believer, the Holy Spirit has to be as well. So no one who is apprenticing Jesus is lacking the Holy Spirit. Every single person who has Jesus, who is an apprentice of Jesus, receives the Holy Spirit when they begin apprenticing Jesus. Keep this in mind when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. So for those taking notes today, this brings us to our first observation for the day. First observation for the day is this. The Spirit proves who we are. The Spirit proves who we are. Verse 14 starts with that statement, all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Now, uh, that term sons is not a term meant to exclude women. In fact, uh, Jesus, Paul, and the New Testament were adamant in their elevation of women. Contrary to popular belief sometimes, they were adamant in their elevation of women, and we're actually going to explore that in a series later in the year. But the term sons is a legal term in Paul's day. In those days, the legal system primarily recognized sons as the only legal option for receiving inheritance. There were some exceptions to that uh, where daughters did receive the inheritance when there were no sons, but as a general rule, primarily sons were the legal inheritors of any property 
uh, or inheritance itself. And so when Paul says in verse 14, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's Son, he's saying all those who are led by God's Spirit are considered sons of God in a legal sense. He's attaching a legal term to it. This is, a fi- this is official. This is a legality. This is like gone through the court system. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul notes that this relationship is really unique. He writes this, Today there is a widespread notion permeating our culture, the essence of which is that true religion teaches the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. But the Bible does not teach either the universal fatherhood of God or the universal brotherhood of man. When the Bible talks about the fatherhood of God, it never does so in the sense of God's creation. To address God as father involves a relationship of intimacy. There's uh, uh, one commentator wrote that when Paul writes Abba, Father, that word means father and father. It's not like Paul's trying to school his audience on Aramaic. Right? He's not like, hey, I want to teach you something here real quick. He's, he's pointing out by this double word there that there is an intimacy in the way that that's called. That's what he's actually pointing out. To go back to R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul says, to address God as Father involves a relationship of intimacy. To be a member in good standing in the family of God is a privilege never to be passively assumed or taken for granted. In fact, it is the greatest privilege of all to be able to come to God and address Him as Father. And we are not able to do that by nature because by nature we are children of wrath. What about the universal brotherhood of man? Doesn't Christianity teach the universal brotherhood? No, it does not. I don't know any text in the Bible which teaches that all men are my brothers. The brotherhood in in biblical categories has to do with those who share the intimacy of fellowship with God and with Christ who is the Son of God. Where the confusion comes in is this. The great commandment tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and so on, and to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. What Jesus says in answer to the question of the Pharisees about who is my neighbor is that all men are my neighbors, and so the obligation is to love all men, to honor all men, to be just towards all men. to be that, that ideal is imposed upon us clearly by Scripture, but the Bible doesn't describe that in terms of brotherhood. Paul, in verse 12, for example, uses the term brothers to refer to a special group, those who are the brotherhood or sisterhood of the faith because they have a unique relationship with Christ and are those in whom the Spirit of Christ dwells. Who are the children of God? They are those who are led by the Spirit of God. So we cannot be God's sons if we are not led by the Spirit, and if we're not led by the Spirit, we cannot be God's sons. So no one who's led by the Spirit fails to be a legitimate child of God and legally then, entitled to receive the inheritance God promised his children. Paul continues this thought in verse 15. He says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Family, this is why we at this church say that adoption is one of our number one priorities, right? We have two majors like college, majors, minors, and audits. Our two majors are church planting and foster care and adoption. Because this is who God is for us. This is who we are called to be for the world. Stephen Runge writes this. This new life in the spirit is not like the old one. We no longer live in slavery marked by fear. Paul uses the powerful metaphor of adoption to describe our new life. Serving God in his spirit. Both slavery and adoption involve someone deciding to establish a legally recognized relationship. But the nature of those relationships is radically different. Instead of slavery and fear leading to death, we receive an undeserved intimacy with the Father. 
See, without the Spirit of God, there's no way I can be a part of God's family. I cannot be adopted into the family on my own. Can't make it happen legally. There's no way. Our human nature is naturally enslaved to sin and death. Jesus is God's only son, created a way for us to be adopted. That's incredible. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation. The Spirit testifies to what God has done. The Spirit testifies to what God has done. Now, there's some debate, right? When, when the, the Bible's written, it's not written in chapter and verse. You guys know that? It's written on scrolls, right? So uh, we later added chapter and verse, which means sometimes we, we put breaks in places we think they're natural breaks, but they may not be exactly where the, the author intended. So we actually don't know where, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, is that supposed to be with verse 15 or with verse 16? We don't know. And here's why. Because if it belongs with verse 15, it's saying that we can only approach God with such intimacy because we've received the spirit of adoption. If it's tied to verse 15, then it's basically telling us, hey, the only reason you're able to come with that intimacy is because of what God did. If it belongs with verse 16, then it's the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit that we're adopted. But either way, it's a really helpful thing to understand our identity because both of them point to truths about who God is and who we are. One of the most uh, popular questions pastors get, you know the number one question pastors get asked, right? Can I ask a question? Exactly. (laughs) One of the other most popular questions that we get asked is, how do I know I'm really saved? How do I know I'm really saved? Paul is telling us, first, we can know we're saved if we have the Holy Spirit. Because, again, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. If you do have the Holy Spirit, then you have Jesus, therefore you are saved. No one can have the Holy Spirit and not be saved. This is confirmed in our hearts when we hear God speak to us. It's confirmed in our hearts when we see God change us from who we used to be to the people that we are now. It's confirmed in our hearts when we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives by the fruit that's produced, by the way that we're living. It's confirmed in our lives by all of these things that come with what it means to be apprenticing Jesus. Secondly, this passage is telling us that we recognize in our hearts that we have faith, that we believe we have faith. There's a part of us that like, oh, I know I'm a Christian. John Calvin writes this. He says, there's an, also an answer given here to their objection, for they ask, how can a man fully know the will of God? This is certainly not within the reach of man, but it is testimony of God's spirit. Let this truth then stand sure, that no one can be called a son of God who does not know himself to be such. And this is called knowledge by John in order to set forth its certainty. And he quotes 1 John 5, 19 and 20. And so here's what, I'm, here's what I'm trying to get to. Paul is telling us that we have two witnesses to this. The Holy Spirit is a witness to this. And our own spirit is a witness to it. Now, that's pretty incredible because in ancient times, you needed at least two witnesses for something to become legally binding. Two witnesses. There's something special about the fact that our spirit and God's spirit testify together as an illustration of the legality of our adoption. It's kind of like this. I have two pieces of paper that you cannot read from there unless you have superhuman eyes. This one right here is for a child that was born named Chance Castro, September 20th. I won't read the year. St. <laughs> Joseph's Hospital, Tacoma, Washington, to Carol and Jose. Ivan and Castro, that's Ukrainian and Filipino, in case anybody's wondering. 
This is a legal, binding, official birth certificate. This one, same doctor signed it, September 20th, also won't say the year, for Jared Ossilier, signed by the same doctor to Carol and Philip Ossilier. See, both of these are my birth certificates. This is my original birth certificate, and this is the birth certificate after my adoption. What's incredible is, same doctor had to sign it, right? But this document, where my name was changed, is my official document. This one, even though it was a real, authentic birth certificate, is not who I am. I've been legally adopted, and my name has legally been changed, and a new person has been inserted as father. Isn't that incredible? Only one certificate matters after my adoption. I am officially who the document says I am, and this document is a witness to that testimony. I can prove that I am now Jared Chance Ossilier, right, because I have this piece of paper that says that's who I am. No one can test that, can contest that legally. For those taking notes, this brings us to our third and final observation for the day. The Spirit authenticates our faith through suffering. The Spirit authenticates our faith through suffering. In verses 15 and 16, we see that we have the spirit of adoption and that God's spirit and our spirit testify to that truth. But one of the ways we can be most certain we are God's children is that we will regularly experience suffering. You're like, whoa, whoa, I'm out. But this is how we know. Some of us are told that following Jesus means blessings and an easy life. I wish. Not true. In fact, I'll tell you that uh, when I grew up, that's what I was told. I was told that, uh, that, you know, when you get to really, really difficult things, you're just trying to get, make it through and learn really good lessons, and, and, and you get to those spaces where you can breathe a little bit, and then you enter something else, and I was always told, well, that's because you probably did something wrong. You screwed it up, and God is trying to change that out of you, maybe beat that out of you, right? As I've gotten older and understood the grace of God, I understand that actually where God wants me more often than not is in the suffering. And those moments when I get a breather, it's because he's like, I think you need one right now before we go back into the next round. Because those moments of suffering, when I first start, I'm trying to get out from under that pressure with everything that I am. And what happens is I fight the change God wants to do in me. But the times that I am most shaped, the times I am most changed, the times I have to, like Paul, say, I am weak and only in you am I strong. It's your strength that gets me through. It's relying on you that gets me through. Are those times when the pressure is too much for me to bear? God never promises that we won't go things that we can't bear. He promises that he will be with us in it. Therefore, we can make it through. God's children regularly experience suffering. We serve a suffering Savior. It's silly to think we wouldn't suffer as well. We are certainly blessed, but we're never promised an easy life. We are promised that everything we go through will be for our best benefit and for the benefit of the kingdom of God. We are promised that God will never leave us or forsake us. We're promised that God's ways and plans are better than ours, even when we don't understand. We're promised that experiencing suffering is an affirmation that we are true children of God. Verse 17, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if, I wish that word wasn't there, if indeed we suffer with him, so we also may be glorified with him. 
Calvin writes this, we are co-heirs with Christ provided in entering our inheritance we follow him in the same way in which he has gone before and he thus made mention of Christ because he is designed to pass over by these steps to an encouraging strain. God's inheritance is ours because we have his grace, because we have by his grace been adopted as his children that it may not be doubtful its possession has already been conferred on Christ whose partners we are become. But Christ came to it by the cross then we must come to it in the same manner. Suffering acts like an activator to our faith, and, and, and it's part of this process of sanctification. Sanctification is that big Christianese word that means God is working in us to make us more like his son, Jesus. The Bible tells us that suffering molds us and shapes us. It has a purpose. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Jesus' brother James writes that suffering produces endurance, which results in maturity and complete faith. In other words, without suffering, our faith can't be complete and we cannot be mature. Being more like him in this process of sanctification is the process of becoming holy. Not like I have a little halo that goes around, right? But like holy as meaning that I am set apart for the Lord. I look more like him every single day. I love the way that author Jerry Bridges explains this in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. Listen as I read this together. A farmer plows his field, sows the seed, and fertilizes and cultivates, all while knowing knowing that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can he produce the rain and sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For a successful harvest, he's dependent on these things from God. Yet the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibility to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. Can you imagine a farmer who's like, doesn't do anything? He's like, where's my grapes? In a sense, he is in a partnership with God and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his own responsibilities. See, farming is a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer cannot do what God must do and God will not do what the farmer should do. We can say just as accurately that the pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life, but just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. Listen, to change a name is nice, but if, it, if we don't change who we are, nothing's really changed. If all we change is who we're called, there is no difference. In 2016, a British government agency, the Natural Environment Research Council, or NERC, held a public naming conference. The NERC was commissioning a new polar research vessel, and they decided to allow the public to come up with a name. Genius idea. (laughs) A former BBC radio host, this sounds something so British, James Hand humorously suggested the name Bodie McBoatface. (laughs) And the suggestion quickly gained widespread attention. The public embraced the name, and it became the overwhelming favorite in the online poll. However, The NERC ultimately decided not to follow the public's choice and named the ship the RRS Sir David Atterborough after the renowned naturalist and broadcaster. Although the the official name went against the popular vote, Bodie McBoatface did not fade into obscurity. What they're saying is there was public outrage. (laughs) 
People were like, that's the name of the boat. I don't care what you say. That is the name of the boat. So in a compromise, they named an underwater research vessel, an underwater uh, ROV, as a part of that boat, Bodie McBoatface, so that they could appease the public. Now, you can call it the RRS Sir David Atterborough all you want. We all know it is RRS Sir Bodie McBoatface. Do we not? That's just the truth. That's what it is. No matter what its name, it's still a polar research festival. It's still a government boat. It doesn't change what it is. Suffering allows us to go from just having a, ensuring that we don't just have a name change. We have change in who we are. The Bible says our character is literally changed. Sharing in Jesus' sufferings makes us more like him. If the pursuit of holiness is an ongoing, lifelong task required of us by God, then we need to recognize the place suffering has in helping us learn how to be holy. It should lead us to actually embrace suffering as a validation of our standing in Jesus. I mean, if we're not his children, what is the need for him to work in us? So here's what we've been introduced to this morning. Our big idea is that the children of God have the Spirit of God. We saw that the Spirit proves who we are. The Spirit testifies to what He has done. And the Spirit authenticates our faith through suffering. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we reflect on what you said to us through praise and Scripture. Father, we express our gratitude for all you're doing in us and through us. As we begin to prepare our hearts to leave, we ask that you help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory, and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ's apprentices, I pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit Abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people continually grow. Go and be the church. Amen.